In the past 10 years, there's been an explosion in online groups, chats and forums. Sometimes you can find little nuggets of gold amongst the comments, but other times you can be led in the wrong direction with dire consequences. Welcome to Your First Home Buyer Guide, the podcast for first home buyers who want to get it right. I'm Megan and that was Veronica. We're both buyers agents and probably old enough to be your mums. But that's a good thing because between us, we've got over 40 years experience and we are going to share with you bucket loads of stories about avoidable mistakes. Together, we're going to make sure that you get unbiased and real information that you can rely on so you can get where you want to be without missing a step. Now, we've got loads of great tips for you in this episode, and if you'd like more useful tools, head over to the website, homebuyeracademy.com.au. There you'll find free checklists that you can download, a free mini course on how to price a property, and our where to buy a workshop for only $39. Priceless stuff, really. Bargain. But before we get into the interesting stuff in this week's episode, here's the boring bit, the disclaimer. You of course know that nothing in this podcast is to be taken as personal advice. We always recommend getting the advice of an expert in their field of expertise. Now we've done our very best to ensure that the content is correct at the time of recording, but things change. So check with the relevant government authority or your advisors to get the most up-to-date information. Today we're talking about online chat groups, property forums and communities. There can be a real feeling of camaraderie when you find other people in the same situation as you. But are they always good for advice? But before we get into that, what is your special house this week, Mel- uh, Melbourne? I was going to call you Melbourne. <laughs> Megan. Sure, whatever works for you, It looks like Veronica. I might be in Melbourne, this house. <laughs> you can call me yeah, Victoria. Well, this- <laughs> <laughs> hey, Vicky. <laughs> <laughs> Ronnie, um, this is a glass house. So just just check it out. Mm. It's only it's only a one bedroom. It has a living space, a bedroom, and a hearth room. But it was designed by Philip Johnson in 1949. So this has stood the test of time. It's located in Connecticut. Now I don't know about you, but that is way too much transparency for me. It's really stunning. So for anyone who's not watching the video, this is basically, it looks like it's set in parklands. It's sort of it surrounded by trees, a lot of grass. It's just mm. green, 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 which for me makes my heart sing. I just you love are a hinterland person. Yeah. And, but yes, there's two things that occur to me. One is I really hope that that's at the ven- end of a very, very long driveway and the neighbours aren't <laughs> anywhere around because it's extraordinarily transparent um but also how cold would it be in winter Mm. because you know glass is um not a very good insulator of heat and also cool but um so i'm not sure how practical but i tell you what is quite a beautiful structure beautiful green surrounding Mm. imagine lying down in bed waking up and just seeing trees above you yep although permanently camping don't like actually waking up early so yes, you know, no, I think there's uh, no filtering of light. Another reason for some good thick blinds. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we we that's a bit transparent. We do love transparency in other aspects. So, and if we sort of bridge this back onto our theme for this episode about online forums, transparency would come quite handy in the mm. people who are giving advice on these forums and the transparency around how or 
you know, why? What is your they... motivation? Yes. Why are you in here and what are you pushing? <laughs> are you qualified? And yes, what is your motivation? Classic. Yeah. And, and you know, a forum or a group, an online group, it can just be a group of like-minded individuals who actually genuinely want to help each other. And I think a lot of these forums start that way. And some of the people that we've talked to, Veronica, over the years, um, because you and I like to get in and have a look at what people are asking, what their interests are, it helps us to make sure that the content is mm. in the course is relevant relevant um and if there's any changes in themes we can really jump onto that and make sure people are getting good independent advice so we do dip our toes into different forums at different times just to hear what people are talking about mm. um and, and they can start with really good strong positive intentions i think what can happen is they can also be started by people who have maybe done something once or twice and they feel that they have a level of expertise now that they would like to share with other people and guide other people through a process. Now, that I think is where you and I get a little bit concerned about it could be the blind leading the blind. Could be, um, yes. It is alarming because there's a lot of money to be made in the property space and there's a not enough regulation. So let's mm. just get that on the table, that in order to be a property advisor, I was horrified when I discovered this because as a licensed real estate agent that I am and you are, we know we mm -hmm. need to be qualified to do what we do, right? Mm -hmm. But that's because we either- but that's licensed in an area. Yes. And I think that's a differentiator as well. Yeah, absolutely. We're licensed in, like in terms of being a buyer's agent or being a real a sales agent, and both of us have been both, right? Mm -hmm. And we're both fully licensed both qualified in, in, in our, area. In our mm -hmm. areas of jurisdiction, which is you for Queensland and me for New South Wales. Doing the course- you know, other people can put together property courses that have are not qualified and have had very little experience. So we bring to you, apart from the fact we're qualified in our areas to do what we do in our other jobs, if you like, we bring to you all the experience that we have through that professional experience. We're not bringing to you what we've done ourselves as a side hustle and went, mm. oh, that, that was pretty good. That was fun. I enjoyed that. Uh, and all of a sudden, then you've created a community. And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, my God, we've got these people. We should deliver them something. I know. I'll put together a system because I bought two properties once, um, <laughs> you know, and this is a problem. And they're doing really, really well. Yeah. Against what? How what? do I benchmark How them? How do you judge that? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> all the things that Megan and I go, warning, warning, warning. Um, and so back to what you said there about often being the blind leading the blind. So we get that there's this positivity, this excitement, interest, enthusiasm, um, and in an environment with no regulation. Mm. So therefore people can create forums and they can actually start offering guidance. They can start doing all sorts of things, starting even getting paid for, for advice without any, any qualifications. So none whatsoever. There he is. And, and a number of years ago, um, there are a, a lot of people like us, Veronica, who actually wanted to bring in some accredi accreditation, some some learnings, some um, frameworks, some guidance, some some licensing around property advice. Now, there's one recognised body that does provide accreditation for investment property advisors. And Veronica, you and mm, I are yeah. both members of that organisation, the Property Investment Professionals of Australia. Uh, and, and I think that's really important for people to understand that they're is an accreditation of body that makes sure that people that are providing investment advice to property investors are doing it within a framework and with a certain code of conduct that perhaps many, many others are not. Mm. 
So they, if they're a qualified property investment advisor, then they've had to have done a course, uh, passed that course, but also um, do regular uh, CPD points so that they're actually making sure they maintain their up-to-date knowledge. So, mm. yes, there is that. But, you know, that's not legislated and, you know, that's totally voluntary. So I guess what- That's actually self-regulation. That's us as professionals mm. wanting to self-regulate our industry mm. and say, no, it's not good enough for people to just step in and do this after they've bought one property and think that they can provide advice to other people. It's actually us as an industry of professionals saying, no, we want to be held to a higher standard. We want to be criticised and critiqued um, for our ability and stand apart from people who are perhaps um, advi- uh, providing advice online without any basis because for the advice. On the, in the online space, and this is something that we've noticed of late, right, that um, there's finfluencers. Have you heard of finfluencers, <laughs> Megan? Yes. So in the the money space, not one myself. <laughs> no, neither. <laughs> definitely, I'm not either. In the money space, money and finance and that sort of thing, uh, there's been a lot of people entering that space online, and it's particularly targeted at millennials as well. Because let's face it, you guys are you know more online than to us mm. old Gen Xs have been, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and you know, a lot of people like to hear from people that you relate to. Get that, you know, a lot mm. of millennials look at us and go, "Oh, you pair of old ducks." But you know, we're like <laughs> your mum on your shoulder. Remember that. <laughs> <laughs> We've had many, many a member say, I just, you know, I looked at this house and I could hear Veronica in this ear and Megan in this ear <laughs> going, what? what would the ladies <laughs> say? So we, we get that we don't necessarily relate because we're not millennials and we're not bagging every millennial that's in their space. Oh, no. But we do understand that there's, because there's a, a like, we all do this, we go for PLUs, you know, people like mm-hmm. us, because we gravitate to people like us or PLUs, we are likely to go to forums and, you know, podcasts and YouTube, TikTok, all that. Formal spaces. Yeah, with people like us, right? And so the problem with that, and in the Finfluencer space, there's been all these experts with rabbit ears, you know, inverted commas around them popping up. And ASIC is actually, that's our national regulator, has actually been stepping in to Mm. shut down some of these Finfluencers because they've been doing the same thing. They've been giving advice. They've been putting together strategies, all sorts of stuff way outside their lane. Now, that is an area, though, financial advice is very, very tightly regulated. And in fact, potentially over-regulated to a degree because it's really difficult to find people Mm. to give you good financial advice because of the costs associated with it and a lot of experience having been left the industry. Property, Mm. on the other hand, has the exact opposite problem. We are not regulated nearly enough and and some people have said that that's because we're a state by state based it's legislated state by state so whereas financial advice is legislated um on a national basis mm. whatever the reason you just need to understand that in a lot of these forums you're going into property it's an unsafe space <laughs> and very very different in every state and we harp on about this over and over and over anyone listens to the podcast done the course, done the mini courses, you'll understand it is so different state by state. So I think the only area that has some um, national frameworks around it now is actually the training for real estate licences that's now under a national framework rather than a state by state framework. So, um, you know, that's one step towards unification of of, um, systems and processes, but we'll never see states give up their own legislation around property. So, you know, we're going to have to work with what we've got and that is differences amongst the state. But I want to get back to 
to the topic at hand because often we do rabbit on in other directions. <laughs> but um, we're talking about online forums and chat groups and so forth. Now, one of the things that I find when I'm I'm sort of just having a little bit of a tool through and see what people are asking and, and what, what's being answered is they're often infiltrated by people who want to push a certain strategy or have something they want to sell. And they can be very, very almost this can you say it? influencing <laughs> thank you um to a degree but it's really clear you know it might be a buyer's agent or it might be an off-the-plan salesperson or it might be someone who's bought an, obs- an obscure place and they want to have some um, social proof through other people that what they've done is a good thing so if other people do it based off the back of their recommendations and they feel a sense of oh i did get this right and i, I made a really good decision and i i must be really quite good at this investing thing <laughs> or, or buying my first home so i think you've got to be really careful when you're in these forums about what the motivation is of the person who's providing the commentary or the advice um and is it advice they're giving you or is it just a well this is what i do and this is this is what i've found yeah, that stuff I love in forums. The other thing. But people just say, this is what I did. Yeah. There's a certain bias that when we've done something and it worked, we actually think that we're the cleverest thing on, out there and that that is the only way of doing things. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, after 22 years in the property space, I'm always coming up against situations that we haven't come up against before. And yes. you have to think, okay, you draw on all your experience to come up with a new and novel answer to that. So when somebody's bid at auction, like once or twice and did the same thing and it worked the second time or whatever, they think that that's the solution, that's the answer. And another one, I actually saw a buyer's agent um, on LinkedIn recently bragging because an auctioneer, quite a well-known auctioneer, sort of said that's the way to bid, bid with confidence like this buyer's agent. And I'm like, well, regardless of why the buyer's agent's bidding with confidence, it's not always appropriate to bid with confidence You've got to read the room. You've got to read the room. You've got to have done your homework. <laughs> Look, on this, now this is the first example that I, I've got. I just pulled a couple of out and I, I have um, been very careful to protect the innocent. <laughs> but uh, this was a question that I saw on a forum from a first home buyer and they asked, there's a place going to auction next Saturday. Hit me with your bidding tips. Oh. All right. Hit me. Hit me with them. Tell me what. Oh. <laughs> now, there was all sorts of things. But what, what I want to, I guess what, what we want to kind of highlight here is if you're going to provide information in these forums because you have an experience you want to share or you're going to participate in them with, in them and take information away from them, there is no information about which state this property is in. Now, you know from listening to us, you have to know your state-based legislation around auctions. There's no information about which location. Now, auctions are sometimes a really location-specific sales strategy and they do work in some areas. They really don't work in other areas. And also the agent can be a good auction agent or a really terrible auction agent and that's going to impact and, and change the way you're going to bid. There's no information on what sort of property type it is. Is it a townhouse? Is it a unit? Is it a house? Is it a block of land? Is it... You know, what, what, what is it that, that they're going to be giving advice on? And importantly, what due diligence have they done? Because why would you ask for bidding tips if you haven't done your due diligence correctly? And why would you give tips if you didn't know if the person had done the due diligence correctly? Oh, it, it's a minefield. There's two aspects to this. First of all, asking the wrong question. So it's <laughs> like that is a classic wrong question. Hit me with your bidding tips as if the tips are going to be the deciding factor, the, you know, how you bid 
is the deciding factor. Well, it isn't at the end of the day. Yes, sure, that sort of might have an impact how you bid, but how you bid is formed through all of those things that Megan has just been mentioning and more. Like and you more. have, there's so much involved when, you know, in my business, when we actually, because we are in a very heavy auction um, area, mm. we run, we have a team conversation before every auction to really work through a whole bunch of elements that that we tick off basically to make sure that we're approaching each auction with the right strategies and tactics. And we also, at the auction, we go there early, we watch everybody register, and then we revise and check our assumptions as they were before and think, are we still on with the right strategies and tactics? And so that takes an enormous amount of experience and knowledge and, you know, all the rest of it to come up with that. But like if you're in Melbourne, you they don't do registration. So I'd have to have a different approach yes, if I was in Melbourne. Certainly would. If I was in Brisbane, I'd have to have a different approach too because the agents don't give price guides. So Correct. there's a piece of information there that we have in New South Wales that we wouldn't have in Queensland. If I was in Adelaide, I would know that the reserve is hinged to what's being guided. And I know that. And so that would actually play into our strategy as well. So like all the, the, the I've just put out a few things that should alarm the pants off you and then scare you to never, ever ask one that question in a forum. <laughs> or answer it. Don't put your two cents worth in. I mean, the, the other things that are really important to understand that we don't know if this person does know or doesn't know and will act impact on your, your bidding strategy is what are the auction terms? Yeah. You know, typically it's 10% uh, deposit on the floor of the hammer and settle in 30 days in Queensland. It's really different in New South yep. Wales. You can also negotiate the 10% down to 5%. You can negotiate a fixed amount, but you have to do that prior to the auction. The seller may want 60 days. If you assume it's a 30-day settlement, you might be in a little bit of a pickle if you're trying to move into the house in 31 days. The classic with bidding tips is the idea, and back to that auctioneer, the auctioneer's love, so back to also bias, auctioneers love confident bidding because A, it makes their job easier and oh, B, they're social proof because other people looking around get confidence of the fact somebody else is bidding confidently. Like there's so yeah. many reasons why being confident bidder isn't necessarily the right thing to do in every situation. Sometimes it is. Sometimes you've got to scare the pants of everybody else and make them feel like you've got endless, you know, bottomless pockets. Bottomless Other times all you're doing is encouraging your competition. So mm. knowing the difference, but, you know, the auctioneer is, of course, going to say bid confidently, always bid confidently. And they, I, I've often heard auctioneers say, come out with a knockout bid. <laughs> <laughs> now there are risks for that too because if the vendor doesn't see action from other bidders, they can think that the auction is a fizzer and go, no, I'm not selling it. I'm not adjusting my mm. reserve. So there, there are there are problems with knockout bids as well. You you might actually shoot shoot yourself in the foot. Yes. Right. So let's have a look at what the experts offered. Um, yeah, you know, it's quite a range of alarming advice. Experts I have to admit. Experts with inverted commas. <laughs> inverted commas around them. Yeah. Yeah. The first one is keep keep your cards close to your chest. Oh yeah, that'll work. There's a classic. You've got that a good a classic. <laughs> One of Megan's favourite sto auction stories is around somebody who kept the cards close to their chest. Actually, I saw that. We bidded an auction for um, some people uh, I to, uh, last weekend, actually, and that auctioneer was was there and we had a bit of a giggle about it afterwards because um, it, still, it still just absolutely tickles me. But it was, um, it, and I've talked about this before, but 
I was at an auction I was not participating in and it was really, you know, it was really good bidding, well-registered, auctioneer is a quality auctioneer um, and, and you know, it was going really well. There was good activity. It had uh, surpassed reserve, was on the market. Um, the bidding was slowing down and it was it was um, held down and, and the, the hammer went down twice to a young lady who was on the phone to her partner and uh, the, on the third fall of the hammer, you know, for going once, going twice, going three times, as the hammer hit uh, the contract, which is how this particular auctioneer indicates the hammer has fallen, a young dad who was on a picnic blanket in the middle of this beautiful yard in the sunshine with his wife and young child, um, basically with their backs to the auction the entire time and and not not participating, like really had the whole play your cards close to your chest don't bid until the end he has just casually turned and thrown in a five thousand as the hammer has hit the contract and the auctioneer has said look i'm sorry your bid's too late uh congratulations and all hell broke loose it was like a calamity of the wife starts crying and yelling at him and he starts yelling at the auctioneer and and then suddenly there's a Bit of you know fronting up to the auctioneer and how dare you and and uh, i'm just standing in the background just shaking my head thinking that is the worst piece of arrogance in terms of auction bidding i've ever seen in my life and mate you are going to suffer for months from your wife <laughs> <laughs> and yet it's covered off in all three of the top things that the top three things that people gave advice on which is <laughs> keep your cards on, close yeah. to your chest don't tell the agent you're interested don't bid till it's on the market i mean you idiots <laughs> Just do you want the house <laughs> don't bid at all wait till it passes in there's another one yeah it's like yeah. oh good luck you know what, what if it doesn't pass in what if it passes in? What, you what, don't have a you, strategy what is your strategy if it goes past <laughs> reserve and it's on the market you can't say look sorry can you just pass it in <laughs> oh my god you have to be the highest bidder if it passes in i mean in a way, that's probably the best piece of advice in this whole thing that, you know. Yeah, but it's not because they don't know which state you're in. Exactly right. And because you- also the reality <laughs> is that the highest, the, the right um, to negotiate with the highest bidder isn't actually a right in most places. It's just nope. a courtesy. So it's one. And it depends how the agent's going to run that post-auction negotiation, Veronica. Absolutely. Because some agents will say, yeah, no, it's not legislation. That's how we do it. You have to be the highest bidder to be offered the property at the reserved reserve price. You have to know that that's their process. That's if you just wait for it to pass in, and that highest bidder goes, "Yeah, all right, well, I'll pay that reserve." You've <laughs> lost it; it's gone. <laughs> and that's exactly right. I mean, I actually I remember when I was a sales agent, many times I'd have a blind auction after the the first auction <laughs> because idiots didn't bid, but they wanted it. And they're all yeah. waiting for it to pass in. And then I'm actually going, well, guess what, guys? Now you now don't you know what the other, other person is bidding. <laughs> and I'm telling you what you need to bid. And it's up to you if you want to bid for this property or not. And I'd be going back and forth and I'd be I'd be determining the increments. And it's like, are you in or you're out? Okay, good. They get to buy it. You know, and and yeah. I actually did that a number of times. And and as an agent, I had no sympathy whatsoever for the your people. job is to get the highest price as the agent they had the opportunity to be there and bid with transparency it's like that mm. was your chance and then you know you, you forwent that chance so there's a good piece of disgustingly terrible advice <laughs> <laughs> the auction now the next one's oh, a cracker I love this one. because there was both of these in the one set of comments love it one was the auctioneer can only do one vendor bid 
Mm-hmm. The next comment was, no, the auctioneer can do as many vendor bids as they like. Once again, which state are you both in? Both right and both wrong. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Make an offer before the auction so you don't have to go to auction. And even that's a stupid idea sometimes <laughs> because there are circumstances where they can't yeah. sell before auction. Or, you know, in order to do that, if the only if you're the only interested party and you do that, the agent would be going, yeehaw, okay. And then you actually have no idea that there's nobody else interested. Whereas yeah. if you go to auction, you know that there's nobody else interested. So there are times when it works and there are times when it doesn't work. Love mm. it. Whole list of really poor advice because they didn't really poor. know the circumstances. Because they didn't know the circuit they, they didn't know the right questions to ask. Didn't care, just wanted to provide whatever share piece their of- knowledge. Yeah, <laughs> knowledge they had to share. Uh, that's true. I just want to go back to that um, make an auction before uh, offer before auction, and I, I'm going to talk about where you can actually get some reliable uh, information a little bit later. But you know, there are certain circumstances, and this is where it's so important to talk to the agent. You have to talk to the agent and understand the seller's circumstances. If it's a financial settlement of a marriage breakdown, it may be that it's been ordered that it must go to auction. So making a pre-auction offer. Um, and up close to your limit is actually going to shoot you in the foot. There will be no benefit to actually doing that. All you're doing is showing your hand. Mm. Yep. <laughs> they so great. you have to well, understand the circumstances. <laughs> will they, if they get a price, if they get an offer prior to auction that is the right price, will they sell? It's a basic question. If you don't know how to ask it, then you need to do the course and learn the right questions to ask. Do don't know, ask the forum. One of the reasons why in the end I, I have to jump out of these forums, they're great to understand really the challenges that first-time buyers and first-time investors and all the rest of it have. Mm. But it's like I just feel like going, look, I wrote a book. Here, read this. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? I almost want to give it away. We'll know. get to that. <laughs> but, oh, you know, it is. is really annoying. And it's like we have these podcast episodes that answer some of these questions in a really thorough way. And it's like, oh, I'm not, you can't say it because it's not my forum. <laughs> well, it's not your forum, but also you know that you don't know all the circumstances to be, re- be able to provide Very true. the actual advice that is going to be relevant and helpful. And, and I think that's the thing that we're trying to get to here. Absolutely. Now, the next example I have is an, an investor um, who was rent vesting. So they asked a question about how to charge for water usage on a granny flat if it was leased separately to the main house. Now, there's no information about location or local government area. <laughs> These are two really important pieces of information that you should know if you're going to provide any advice around this. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, just go to your property manager. <laughs> <laughs> and if you don't have a good one, get a new one. But but that would be my advice. What were the answers? Well, the, well, it, they were really, really quite um, long and uh, quite well explained for the area in which the person was providing advice, as um, opposed to from. where the potential granny flat was. Yeah, yeah. So one, the first one was you have to have a separate meter. On and on and on was the explanation. Made sense. The next one was you can just calculate the usage as a percentage of the total square meters. <laughs> Interesting. Could work. Probably I'm not. not sure that would cut it anyway, but anyway. Well, it does because it, it uh, say in Brisbane, local government area where you've got a block of flats that aren't strata titled and don't have separate meters, then it is on a percentage basis. So again, Although it is location specific. In New South Wales, if you don't have a separate meter, then you can't charge a tenant use water usage. There you go. There you go. Mm. So um, you can't charge at all. That's another one. And another one suggested just pay the water claim as an expense. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah. Now, only, 
Only three of the comments actually made reference to state legislation and none of them referred to local government restrictions because that's where most of this stuff is actually yeah. going to come from. It's going to come from build uh, from um, you know, building codes and what you can and can't do. Now, for example, in some local council government areas, Brisbane is one, you cannot lease a granny flat to an unrelated person. So they really have to be a granny. Let that sink in, okay? So there's people in there giving advice about leasing water usage on leasing a granny flat when in some locations you can't actually do it. Actually has to be your granny or your cousin or, you know, sister or <laughs> has to be a related person that is in that granny flat. Wow. Whereas Logan, which is just the next government, um, at local government area down, you can, but only in certain circumstances and there are certain things about it. So, you know, the, any advice about water usage charges is going to land this per, per, poor person in hot water oh, unless boom, they boom. happen to choose. Do you like that? Love it. Uh, I don't even. It's like his dad joke. Who is it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> A mum joke. <laughs> unless they choose the advice that accidentally relates to their area. Mm. Like how? How? What are the chances of that? I know. I'm astounded it, that people. What I don't know that they ask these forums instead of just finding the expert, you know, finding their local expert. It does amaze me. Some of these questions that that I see too, I'm like, I want to pull my hair out. That's, you know, <laughs> I want to I want to sort them out. I want to help them. Well, that's why we do this, Veronica, because <laughs> we actually want to stop people making ghastly mistakes <laughs> that put them so far backwards instead of taking them mm, forward. So, look, our advice: do your first home buyer guide and make sure you've done all the steps in the right order. Read Veronica's book, Auction Ready. That is the way to learn how to bid at an auction, but all the preparation that you lead, need to do leading up to it and what to do after it if it doesn't actually sell. Mm. Go to lo lots of auctions in the area, see how they work. Now, this is all the sorts of advice that I would like to see on forums. Yes. Um, rather than specific answers that are based on limited experience. You know, we want you to talk to the agents so that you know how the auction process will be run. You know, there's so much to think about when you buy a property and so much you've got to learn and so much you don't know that you don't know. Well, and on that, one of the biggest questions that I've seen, and that's where our Where to Buy workshops came from. So mm. we've got the Where to Buy for Investors and the Where to Buy for Owner Occupiers because when I sort of first got into some of these these forums and, you know, the the question over and over again was where should I buy, where should I buy, where should I buy? And it's like that's the number one question. It is. And it's I didn't like, want to put it in here because we get fired up every time we talk I about know, it. I know we do. But we did create two <laughs> solutions because the reality is that there's no one answer that is right for mm -hmm. everybody. And so yet these people were chucking suburbs in, you know, like, no. That's just yeah. don't. property types. Oh, you should buy a unit in Roseville. Without, without, Why? without knowing anything Why about their goals, their situation, you know, and just horrible, Financial horrible exposure. Advice. <laughs> over and over again terrible terrible advice mm. um and yes so it inspired us to create those two tutorials which are available on our website for 39 bucks each so if you think this this information is expensive think again it's a process you need to learn so mm. that you don't jump on these these forums and ask questions that you are going to get really dangerous answers um yeah. because there is so much that you need to know it is a minefield out there and everyone's looking for the quick fix, really, I think. And I and I yeah, get it. Just takes longer. You know, well meaning but uninformed advice from strangers is not the way to develop a holistic understanding of a market, of a property or a process. 
It can, however, help you develop new questions that you didn't know you need to answer. And that's what I like about these forums, Mm. raising questions in your mind that you can then go out and find the independent experts who are keeping to their lane, giving you the advice around the area that you need the advice. So that's what I like these forums for, for people is actually raising questions in your mind that you can then go and find the right answers to questions that you didn't know that you needed to know the answers to. They're brilliant for that. Now, in next week's episode, we're going to tackle some of your questions ourselves. So tune in, get some unbiased, independent and reliable answers to some of the common questions that first home buyers have. In this episode, we've covered a very small part of our 10-step online course for first-time buyers. If you would like to learn more about the process and how to buy without making a mistake, then head over to our website, www.homebuyeracademy.com.au. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss an episode. And if you like what you've heard today, please give us an iTunes review. Five stars would be wonderful. It will help others find us as well. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found this really useful. And if you have, please share the love with others who you know are in the same boat. We'll be back next week with some more priceless stuff.